right, let's hear it for technical difficulty. Awesome. Well, thank you, church, for praying with us. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just do those kinds of things with the prayer teams, and, uh, but I felt like that was a family time. Uh, there's times to kind of do those things publicly, so thanks for praying with us. And like I said, if you need healing or you need to receive something from the Lord, that's what we do. <laughs> and uh, we see people healed because that's the ministry of Jesus, amen? Isn't that what he did? He laid his hands on people and they recovered, right? And that's, the, that's what he told us to do, and that's why he gave us the gifts of his Holy Spirit. So uh, it's one of the ways that we minister to each other. Awesome. Well, good. That was a lot of family time, but let's dive into the Word, all right? Yeah. Go ahead and open with me to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to continue in our series on the life of King David called Following in the Footsteps of King David, because we're learning to be like David. David is an example of a man after God's own heart. I remember that's what, the, what God said David is. David was a man after God's, my own heart, uh, God said, and God, said, God has showed us in this, already in this series that David fulfilled his calling. David loved God and he knew God with all, with all of his heart. And then he did all the will of God. And so the Lord has said to me, hold David up as an example to my people. The Lord wants us to look at David's life, to look at David's Psalms, to understand David's heart, to understand David's lifestyle practices and his habits and the way he thought and the way he lived. And he wants us to see him so that we could become like him. Ultimately, so we can become like Jesus because that's who we are around here. We want to know Jesus intimately. We want to become like Jesus completely. And we want to partner with Jesus. We're disciples. We're followers of Jesus like we were singing in that song at the end of worship. And so David, more than anyone else in the Bible besides Jesus himself, is a perfect example. And God put David in the Bible to be our example of a person who, was at, uh, who had a heart for God. And so we've been looking at King David. And we've already seen a number of things that were significant about his life. Things that we can see about him and model about him. And we're looking today at 1 Samuel 17, the story of when David took out Goliath. And we, we looked at that story yes, last week as well, but we've got to, we got to pause and take a look at this story for a couple of weeks because this story is hugely significant for his life. Number one, we said that it's the, it's the transitional story that flung him into public uh, attention and flung him from just being a shepherd to, of sheep to into be, having position of a of authority as a captain in the army, but it was also the event that attracted trials too. Isn't that interesting? His great, his great success taking out Goliath uh, set him up to, to move into the blessing of God and it also attracted his trials because it attracted the jealousy of Saul. But more than that, this is the highlight reel. Right, we don't get to learn everything about David, but this is the uh, significant event that actually shows us something very deep and profound about his heart. We see something about David and we saw last week that, that here, that, that it, uh, the, basically the story is, as most of you know, Goliath stands up, the Philistines, the Philistine army and the Israelite army are, are coming at each other. They're on two sides of a valley, and they're basically ready to fight. But this giant of a man, maybe eight, nine feet tall, Goliath, trained warrior, obviously looks pretty hardcore, but also has a reputation of t- taking everyone out. He stands up and says, I defy the armies of Israel, and he says, just give me a man. We'll fight together, and we'll decide this war by me and one man from the Israelite army fighting, and everyone's freaked out. And we looked at this last week that Saul went passive, the Israelites are freaked out, everyone's scared, and we said, why? Because they, in, their, in their equation, 
they were factor, they, all they did was factor in, Goliath is bigger than me. Goliath is a better warrior than me. And in their, in their mind, in the way that they were viewing their life, the filter that they looked at their life, they realized, I'm on my own. It was problem plus me equals I'm dead, right? But we saw last week that David was different. David had a different heart, a different spirit of faith. That when everyone else was scared, when everyone else looked at this situation through a lens of, I'm on my own here, David didn't, right? That he saw what? That he had a covenant with God. Amen? That he realized that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was his God. And the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and Joshua, and all those other people, that those promises were for him. And that God was his God, and that God was going to be on his side. So that David, when David heard Goliath defying the armies of Israel, he wasn't scared. This wasn't David saying, okay, God, I'll do it if you want me to. His knees knocking together, freaked out. I'll just take a stone. That'll work. No, this is Goliath, a trained warrior, much bigger than David, with a sword and a spear and an armor bearer, and David, a shepherd boy, with a rock and a sling. And he wasn't scared at all. I told you last week, zero possibility in David's mind that he would fail. Zero possibility that God wouldn't do what God said he would do, because he was convinced that God was with him, that his problem was God's problem, that his assignment was God's assignment, and that God would be with him. And of course, we know how the story ends. Took him out, right? The power of God caused that rock to hit Goliath's head in the exact right spot. A little stone is not going to take out a giant with armor. It was the power of God because of David's faith. But why? But how is that? This is an amazing story. I told you that David was a youth. It says it many times in the, in the text. David's a youth. He's not even 20 years old. I think maybe 18, 19 years old. Young man. He's a young man. Everyone in Israel, they're freaked out. And this young man, maybe 18 years old, says to the king, if you look right here in verse uh, 32, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and will fight with the Philistine. Hey, don't worry, Saul. Don't, hey, don't, don't, don't let anyone's heart fail. It's to be discouraged. I'll do it. I mean, one person saw this situation completely different. No worries. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't be freaked out. I got this thing covered. Where did he get this confidence? Where did he get this faith? He's 18 years old or so. He's a young man. Not only is he not a trained warrior, but it's like, where did he get this? Where did this come from? Did this, was this just like, all of a sudden, you know, he shows up, and all of a sudden, some sort of like magical thing happens to David, and all of a sudden, this like mystical confidence comes over him? Where did this come from? Why is he so convinced? How where did this faith in this covenant, where did this faith in his God come from? Well, he tells King Saul right here. Verse 33, Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, David didn't back down when somebody didn't believe in him or when a leader tells him something. So David's confidence was obviously not rooted in what other people thought of him or even what leaders thought of him, right? Or personality tests or other things we put our confidence in. I'm not against personality tests, but too often put our confidence there. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear, just a little guy, you know what I'm saying? Just a little lion or a little bear. Have you seen those YouTube videos of people trying to take out lions? That's a little, right? Yeah, see, I used to keep my father's sheep. He says, when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it. You did what? <laughs> what would you do if you were a shepherd and somebody took your sheep? Oh, seems to be the sheep. <laughs> you know? Whoops. That's too bad. No, no, no. no. David is faithful shepherd, isn't he? Watches over his dad's sheep, and if something's missing, man, I'm going to get it back, right? So this lion or this bear, obviously it happened more than once. Obviously, you know, he's saying, he talks about a lion, and then he also talks about a bear. So it at least happened twice that some, some animal took this lamb out of the flock. In verse 35, he says, I went after it, and I struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. See, there's his, he's speaking his faith, right? This guy's going to be just like those lion and the bear because he's uncircumcised Philistine. Verse 34, moreover, and this is where he really explains what's going on inside of his heart. Moreover, David said, the Lord, the Lord, right? You see that? Didn't just say, well, I know how to kill lions and bears, and I'm a really, I'm awesome. I'm the man. I'm the man. So where's this confidence coming from? He obviously has confidence. He's obviously sure he can do this, but where's it coming from? It's right there. The Lord, right? But the Lord. The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Why did Saul say that? I thought to himself, well, I never heard anyone talk like that. This guy's either crazy or he knows what he's talking about, right? And so Saul says, go ahead, go and do it. What's going on here? What are we realizing? This is a young man. Where did he get this faith? And here's the point. He had a history with God. He had a history with God. You don't get this kind of confidence overnight. You don't get this confidence, this faith in the promise and the truth of who God is and that He's with you and that you have a covenant with God and that He's going to deliver you. You don't get that overnight. You don't get that accidentally. David had a history with God. David had built up his faith in God and he'd seen the Lord move in his life. It's not like he's like, yeah, well, when I was 10, I took out a squirrel. He started with a lion, you know what I'm saying? It's not like he was starting with something small. He starts with a lion. He starts with a bear, and he says, yeah, you know what, man? I took my sheep. Took, took my sheep back. Killed that lion. I killed that bear. Why? Did, why? What did I say last week? That he knew. Man, that's my sheep. That means that's God's sheep. 
right? I'm a shepherd. I'm supposed to watch those sheep. That means God's watching that sheep. And he knows that God's with him so that when he was going after that bear to strike it, he knew that God's power was with him. So that when he hits that bear, when he hits that lion, you know it's God's power with him as well. Amen? He wasn't on his own. He had a history with God. Now, see, I love the 49ers. Well, I wouldn't say I love the 49ers. That's kind of strong. Like, I love Jesus. So I don't know if I could say I love the 49ers. But I enjoy watching the 49ers play. And I think my enjoyment of the 49ers came from Joe Montana and Jerry Rice in junior high, early 90s. That was a long, you know, do you guys remember the 90s, right? And um, it was before 2000. But uh, in the 90s, I'm in junior high. I'm watching Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Those guys were awesome. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if any of you guys watched Joe Montana, but, um, you know, Joe Montana, he'd scramble out of the pocket right, he'd run right, it'd be like the fourth down and goal or something like that, and he'd throw the ball on one foot and just throw it into the end zone, Jerry Rice would be guarded by like 20 men, no, I'm joking, that's how legends get formed, right? He's guarded by like two men, Jerry Rice jumps up and grabs it with one hand, pulls it in, touchdown, and they win. How many times did they do that? All the time, right? You know, uh, uh, Jerry Rice running down the sideline. Joe Montana throws it for a Hail Mary. And, oh, one-handed, bam, he catches it, wins the game, or, you know, get the first down or something like that. All the time I would watch that kind of stuff. How do they do that, right? I think that, I mean, Joe Montana is so amazing. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. Whenever we see people who are really good at stuff, it's very tempting to say what? Oh, man, that was lucky. Isn't it, right? Oh, lucky. Oh, that was, oh, I can't believe that happened, right? And we, we do that. And, and we love, don't we love the highlight reels, don't we? And don't we love, we, you know, maybe, I don't know if you guys are into sports, but, you know, you, you watch, like, you watch the football game. A lot of it's because, oh, that was awesome. How did they do that, right? Oh, I love that. And I, that, that's, I like watching football for that reason. But, you know, if I went up to Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and I said, man, that was lucky. That was so lucky. I can't believe that happened. How would you guys do that? You, you know, I think it would be totally fair. I don't know if they would say this. I think it would be totally fair for them to go, ain't no luck about it. Right? How many times did Joe Montana and Jerry Rice run those plays over and over and over again? Right? You wonder, how does that quarterback know to throw that ball at that right time, the exact time, in the right place, and that, boy, that receiver just right there to catch that. How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Because they ran that play over and over and over and over again. Did they not? Right? Now, we, and, and of course, there's, there's more to it. I mean, yeah, I know they had some innate skills and stuff like that. And of course, they run those plays over and over again. But what happens is what? The quarterback knows how far he needs to throw that, how much you know, strength to put on it, how much to do this, what angle to, th- they, they just learn that over time, muscle memory, right? Over and over and over again. Jerry Rice probably played with each other for years and years and years. You know, I, I find it interesting that we got two Mannings in the NFL right now. I mean, I always think, I think about that, right? I think, I think, all right, there's two guys named Mannings, they're, Manning, they're, they're, that's their last name, they're brothers, they're both quarterbacks. I think to myself, now that's crazy. That's crazy. Who's their dad? That's what I want to know. You know, oh, that, what a, coinc- what a coincidence. There are two quarterbacks who are brothers in the, co- in the NFL. Man, that's just, what a coincidence. That's not a coincidence, right? Come on, some crazy dad 
No, I mean, hey, all love, but some obsessed father had his sons out there, probably in the snow with diapers, throwing the, throwing the pigskin. You know what I'm saying? Dad, can I go play the Wii? We don't play the Wii. They didn't have Wiis back then. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason why people become great like that, right? I mean, there's a reason why you get two sons who were quarterback. There's a reason why Jerry Rice could catch the ball with one hand, and I'm sure it wasn't because he had, like, sticky gloves or something like that. I mean, there's a reason why these things happen, and it's not luck. Amen? It's not luck. Practice, 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 right? They run the plays over and over and over and over again, don't they? See, we love it. We love it. They win the Super Bowl. We love it. We love the play. Oh, that was so awesome. That was a great play. What luck. And they would say, that isn't luck. Now we have a history together. We were in those plays over and over again. I've been practicing since I was a kid. Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, they'd say, oh, man, we've been playing together forever, man. We know each other. I know what's up. I know what he can do, right? We have a history together. That's why it works. See, if we were watching a, if we were watching a boxing match and uh, the guy can't even make it through round six, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you, you like, you like basketball. Can you imagine like in your third quarter, your team's like, like, hold on a sec, you know? <laughs> You'd say, what would you say? Man, you need to do some conditioning, don't you? Right? I mean, if you see your team can't even make it down the field, you know, or make it down the court in third quarter, or you see that boxer, he's sweating, and I can't make it, can't make another round, you know? Why do you think they send those people to, they call them hell week. Why do you think they, they, they train? Why do you think like boxers, they go up into the mountains and just run and run and run and run so they have the lung capacity, right? See, we all see the end result, don't we? We see either the Joe Montana, the Jerry Rice, that was awesome. Or we see, you know, the boxer or whatever. Hmm, boy, you need some more exercise. You need some more training, right? We all see that when we're watching the game. But how many of you, especially you sports crazy people, do you, do you like watch your team's practice? Like, do, you, do, do they like, do they like TiVo that? Or, I mean, whatever, like, do they put that on satellite? Now, I know some people, they might, you might go to like training week or something, whatever, Right? Go watch him like throw around for a day. But really, are you there? Are you there in the gym? Do you really care? Right? You know, you've got some awesome, like the, you like the guy that you like to see play, whether basketball or football or whatever, and you think, oh, that person's so good. Do you, do, are you there in the gym with them? Are you waking up every morning? You watch the Olympics and you're like, that is so cool. Are you there with them at 4.30 in the morning? No. You don't care. No, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because training, that's done in private, isn't it? Nobody sees it. Nobody cares. When it comes to us watching sports, what do we care about? The spectacular. Yeah, the extraordinary. You know that, that, that movie Miracle? I kind of like, like sports movies, you know? You watch that movie Miracle. Uh, it's the one where the, the American Olympic team for hockey beat the Soviets a number of years back. And uh, it's an awesome movie. It's a great story. I mean, it's a true story. It's a miracle. They won. Yeah, the, the Americans actually beat the Soviets. But when you watch the movie, was it a miracle? If you watch the movie, what did they do? They worked hard. 
One of my favorite parts of the movie is when, uh, what's his name? The coach, I can't remember who played him now. Kurt Russell, oh, that's a good, guess a good guy, right? He's, and he keeps blowing the whistle, again, he's, again, and they're just having to skate back and forth, and they're like puking their guts out, again, do you call that a miracle? Their victory is a miracle, but their training, that was hard work, wasn't it? See, David had a history in God. David had a history with God. And when you're practicing and when you're training, you don't see that, do you? It's not glamorous. It's not spectacular. It's not exciting. But it's essential, isn't it? You don't see the roots of a tree because they're hidden. But without roots, you don't get anything else, do you? And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. See, David had a history with God. David had a history with God that before he was 18, before he faced Goliath, he faced a lion and he believed God to take out that lion. And he faced a bear and he believed God to take out that bear. But even before that lion and that bear, what we find from the Psalms, what we find about David is he, he had very specific habits. He had a very specific devotion about his life. He was very disciplined and very diligent about seeking after God. Real simple. He spent time with God. He spent time with God. See, we see David and Goliath, and I don't know about you, but you go, oh man, that David, he's so cool. Wish I could be like David. Or maybe in your own life, you see somebody who knows God deeply and intimately. Oh, I wish I could. I want to know God like that. Or you see somebody moving in the power of the Spirit. Oh, man, I wish I could do that. Or maybe you read about somebody in church history or you hear about God doing some mighty thing in another country and you're like, why doesn't that happen in our part of the world? Or you... Or you um, uh, you see somebody with blessing in their life, you know, not just because they're lucky, but you know, you see the kingdom of God break into their life, this blessing that's on their life, and you say, oh, maybe God likes them more than me. Oh, I wonder, why do they get to do that? How come God bless them? It's so easy, isn't it, to give in to self-pity, isn't it? it? It's so easy to think, they're so lucky. They're so lucky. God must like them more. Without realizing, there's a reason why the power of God went into operation. Because David stood up in faith and said, I'm taking that guy out. There's a reason why he had faith. Because he cultivated it. He had a history with God. There's a reason why you see people moving in the power of the Spirit. They've made sacrifices. There's a reason why people are seeing the blessing of God. The character of Jesus. Flowing in their life. It didn't happen overnight. It's not lucky. You see what I'm saying? You guys follow with me? Because they have a history with God. See, anything that's good and anything of the kingdom, it takes time. And it takes hard work. Let me ask you another question here. Think about this. Did David 
Do we have any evidence from the scriptures? Those of you who know the life of David. Those of you who don't, don't worry about it. Do we have any evidence in the scriptures that David had a burning bush experience? He had a burning bush experience. Did, 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 he, did he have angels come and sing to him? Did a light come from heaven? A voice. David. Did he have a burning bush experience? Did he, did he, was he transported to heaven? Is there any evidence from the story of David and Goliath that David's this like, just like, random dude and God's all, watch this guys, bam, and then all of a sudden he takes out Goliath. No. No, if you, if you look at David's life and even his Psalms, you don't find anything like that in the life of David. Now, praise God for those types of experiences. Praise God. But you've got to think about, you've got to put David's life into the context of when he lived. David lived generations after Moses in the Red Sea. Generations after Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Generations after Joshua conquered the promised land. Generations after manna rained down from heaven. In fact, many, so many generations had gone by that most of the people of Israel had found themselves, uh, self, wow, that was a good twang there, uh, found themselves oppressed by other nations. Many of the Israelites, their experience with God was that God doesn't come through. Many of the Israelites, their experience was, I don't know, some Moabite stole my land. I don't know why. Even though the Bible tells us why. Many of the Israelites were not experiencing those things. David did not grow up in a time where like man is raining from heaven. No, he grew up in a generation where probably most of the Israelites were actually quite confused. You can read this in the book of Judges, where many of them didn't know what was going on. Many of them were believing religious ideas about God. So why is it that everyone in, 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 in Israel, at least those fighting men and Saul, the very leader, they're freaked out by the Philistine, and yet David's different? Again, where did he get this faith? Where did he get this history with God? Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. See, David never had a burning bush experience. Never had angels show up to him. Not that we know of. You know, he had only the same thing you have. There's nothing different between David and you and me. That's why God put him in the Bible, because he's just the same as us. Living in a generation where it's like, I know God did those things. We have the stories, but he's living in a generation and he doesn't have all these like feelings or experiences that we think, we romanticize the Bible, don't we? We romanticize these experiences. We romanticize these people. And David, oh, why did he have to have a heart after God? Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight in the law 
of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Interesting about this psalm, I believe this is David not only telling us what he did, but also he's teaching people what to do. Interesting about this psalm is that he's referencing another portion of Scripture, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night. Same exact words that you find in Psalm 1. And he says to Joshua, if you'll do that, he says, then you will, uh, uh, then you will do according to all that is written in it. Basically, if you'll meditate it, then you'll obey it. Then he says to Joshua, then you'll have good success, then you'll make your way prosperous. Same word is in Psalm 1. See, David, all he had were six books of the Bible, what's called the law in Psalm 1, the law or the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, or Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then a sixth book, Joshua, which records the people of Israel coming in to the land of uh, the promised land. And God, I'm sorry, and David, he would read or at least hear it. I don't know if he read it. But I know he heard it. He heard the Torah. Somebody taught him. Somebody read it to him. Maybe he read it, maybe when he was king or something. Who knows if he was literate or not. I guess he would have to be literate if he wrote down his psalms. But, you know. Somehow he got the word of God into his heart. He heard about the God of Abraham and how God made a covenant with Abraham. He heard the promises of God to Isaac and to Jacob. I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He heard the promises that God made to the people of Israel and to Joshua. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's all over. He heard the instructions to Joshua. He heard, Joshua, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate in it day and night. David heard that or he read it. Don't let this book of the law depart from my mouth. Don't let this book of the law depart from my mouth. Meditate in it day and night. Day and night. Don't let this book of the law depart from my mouth. Meditate in it day and night. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll make your way prosperous. See, he watched as he heard the stories. He watched God split an ocean, a sea, in half, and a whole nation walk through it. And then he watched through the hearing of the story that God destroyed the superpower of the world that was oppressing Israel, Egypt, Destroyed them in the Red Sea. He heard these stories. And he knew this is my God. He heard the promises. These are my promises. Why did he know to personalize it? Because he had a covenant with God. See, David tells us right here what he does, what he did. Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Where did David get this faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where did David get this faith? It didn't happen overnight. He cultivated it. How did he cultivate this faith? The word of God. He spent time with God. How do we know that? It tells us right here. Do you have any other proof? 
yeah, I don't know, maybe about uh, 70 plus psalms that proved that he had a lifestyle of prayer, meditating the word and worship. And you know what's really interesting about the psalms, and I don't have time to show you all of them, but I can tell you, you it's obvious on this one. Where did most of his psalms come from? Where did the language come from? Comes right out of the Bible. What's awesome is when you study the, the psalms, and you compare them to the statements and things like that in the Old Testament, like the Torah, the six books that he had, it's very clear, very clear that David would take what he read or heard and turn it into his own song. What did David do? He heard Joshua 1. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it day and night. So what did he do? He wrote a song about it. He wrote a song about it called Psalm 1. That's what he did. In fact, um, I could give you a lot of examples. What's really interesting is, uh, let me give you one specific one. From uh, Exodus 14. And in Exodus 14, the people of Israel are standing at the edge of the, of the uh, Red Sea and they're freaking out because the Egyptians are right behind them. And this is what Moses tells them. God had told uh, Moses that he was going to deliver the people of Israel. So Moses had heard the Lord, but I don't know if Moses knew exactly what, how he would do it. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And then when it's all said and done, and God leads the people of Israel free, and the Egyptians are destroyed in Exodus 15, they bust out in song. And they say, I will sing to the Lord. This is actually Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Moses and the people of Israel. They're all singing this song to God. They're just worshiping the Lord, because huh, I think you would too if you were, just got delivered. And he says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed victoriously, or gloriously, sorry. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, or literally warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. And the song goes on. David read this story. Or heard it. David heard this song. And do you know that at least one time in Psalm 118, he actually quotes from this. This is just one of like a dozen examples I could give you. But in Psalm 118, he literally quotes verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. David would take the various phrases in the Old Testament that he would hear or read and he would take them and personalize them and sing them back to God. The language of his prayers was from the language of the Word of God. What's really even more interesting to me is that in 1 Samuel 17, in the, in the time of, uh, with David and Goliath, when David comes against Goliath and Goliath mocks him and says, I'm going uh, to kill you, David, and David says, uh, as we, we saw this last week, verse 45, David goes, says to the Goliath, he goes, you come at me with a sword and a, a spear and a javelin? That's all you got? 
And he goes, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. This is not, I'm going to take you out. That's what David says. And then listen to why David says it. This is his faith. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, then all this assembly will know. The Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. Now, where did he learn that the battle is the Lord's? What did Exodus 14 say? God will fight for you. Isn't that what Moses told the Israelites? God will fight for you. So what did David say to this, Israel, uh, to this Philistine? I'm going to take you out because then everyone's going to know the battle belongs to the Lord. See, what's going on here is this man, this young man of 18, he believed God's word. He believed that that God is my God and those stories are the stories of my God and what he said to them, he says to me because I'm in covenant with that God. That what he did then, he'll do now. And he took the command in Joshua 1 to meditate the word of God day and night and he did it. Day and night, day and night, day and night, he would meditate the word of God. And he said, thank you, Lord, if I meditate the word of God day and night, you'll make my way prosperous. You'll make my way prosperous. So that when he's facing this Goliath, this isn't the first time he's thought about this. This isn't the first time he's prayed about it. No, he's been exercising his faith. Day in and day out, practice, 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 practice. Run that play, run that play, run that play, run that play. So that when he sees Goliath, he says, in his mind, this is the way he sees it now. Oh, my God, my God took out Egypt. You're just one man. He says, my God will fight for me. And you know what? I have history in this because I've been faithful as a shepherd and God delivered me from the lion and God delivered me from the bear. God's going to deliver me from this Philistine too because my God fights my battles. God is with me, right? Amen. Amen. So he's meditating the word and he says, no, everything I do shall prosper. Everything I do shall prosper. Everything I do shall prosper. That's how he thinks now. See, you don't get the character of Christ on the fly, right? You don't get a renewed mind just here and there. Well, I'll just read the Bible a little bit like during the commercials or something. No, this takes work. This takes time. And it's completely by the grace of God. See, everything that the Lord has ever done in my life, every blessing, every aspect of character, every breakthrough that I've seen in my life, and I've seen a lot. I've told you before, I've not ever had God not answer one of my prayers. Actually, one dumb prayer I prayed one time, and He told me no. But... Okay. <laughs> Say about that later. But other than that, I've never been disappointed from the Lord. But I want you to understand, every breakthrough, every answer to prayer wasn't easy. Every breakthrough was always preceded by 
Every time God spoke to me, or, you know, bam, you know, the big time, you know, the stuff where it was, oh, that was awesome. And, you know, we tell those stories, don't we? We tell those stories because that was the, boom, that was the breakthrough. Because we, we can put that in a story. Yeah, there it is. There's the story. Every breakthrough preceded by day in, day out, praying the Word, meditating the Word, spending time with God, hours, 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 and hours. Every breakthrough, seeking, asking, knocking, seeking, asking, knocking. And then even when I've got breakthroughs in my relationship with God, even when I've heard the Lord speak to me, even when He's answered those things, how did I walk it out? How did it move from just like an experience to actually like seeing it as a consistent thing in my life? The pattern of my life instead of like, oh, that happened once. That's cool. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Meditate the Word. Day in, day and night. Spending time with God. It's the only way. I remember years and years ago, I did not have any confidence in God's love. I did not see things the way I see them now. I didn't know that God loved me. Deeply depressed. But I believed, I don't even know if I could say that, but I took a risk. If I just do what He says, He'll come through. So I just kept going at it. I just kept going at it. I would take messages from people who obviously had fruit in their life. There was an intimacy with God. They heard the Lord. You know, there's confidence in their walk with God. And I could see fruit in their character, like humility. I'd say, man, I want what they got. Kind of like David, right? I don't know about you guys, but you look at David and you go, man, I want what, I want what that guy's got. You know, you, you, maybe you don't want to kill a giant, but you're like, oh, I want that, I want that heart for God. I want that intimacy with God. I want to go deeper in God. You know, oh, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. Whatever it is that you would say, yeah, I want to love God. I want to see this breakthrough in my life. Whatever you would say, that's what I would say. I want that. So I'd take their, their messages. I'd just listen to them over and over again. And I'd come before the Lord, and I'd take the scriptures. I'd take the word of God. And not, not even very much. It wasn't like real... You know, ooh, I'm so confident, I'm such a spiritual guy. No, no, I'm talking like hard heart, skeptical, depressed. And I would take the word of God, just scriptures like, he loves me. <laughs> you know where that one is found, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He loves me. And I just say, you love me. You love me, you died for me. You love me. You delight in me. You love me. Over and over and over again, day and night, day and night, day and night. Thank you, Lord. I don't feel it. I don't believe it. But you said that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You love me. You delight in me. It's what your word says. Over and over and over again. I had major pride issues. I took Philippians chapter 2. It talks about humility in Philippians 2. Have the mind of Christ. Say, Lord, give me the mind of Christ. Give me your heart, your attitude. Lord, break off selfish ambition and vain conceit in my life. Impart to me humility, Father. I just meditate. What's humility? What is humility? Jesus promised us, come follow me. Take my yoke upon you. I'm humble. I'm lowly in heart. You'll learn me. You'll learn my ways. I would just do that. Just come to Jesus. Meditate on his humility. Meditate on his character over and over and over and over again. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. 
And it's crazy because, you know, like a couple years later, I remember some friends of mine, man, I don't know what it is about you. I don't know what it is about you. Just There's like this confidence that you didn't have before. Oh, yeah, that just happened yesterday. No, I didn't say that, and I, I would never have that attitude. My point is, fruit comes, but it takes time. The breakthroughs come, but it takes time. And yet you, you'll tell people, see, this is a principle that doesn't shout. Does that make sense? This is a principle that whispers. Spend time with God. This is not glamorous. Nobody's going to see you. Maybe your family. Nobody's going to hold you accountable unless you're an OSL. And maybe you get some brothers and some sisters around you. But you got to show up. And how many people you say, you say, oh, I'm telling you, man, you seek God with all your heart. You seek God with all your heart. You will find him. The Bible says, search for me. Jesus, right? He says, search for me with all your heart. You will find me, he says. And so we go, I tried that once. Yeah, I did that. I did that once. Oh, oh, did you? Right? You ever talk to somebody clearly, you know, out of shape? And they say, oh, yeah, I did that once. I went to the gym once. I, went to the, I did that once. I used to go to the gym. Right? Does that work? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. He clearly says in the word of God, listen to me. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you search for me with all of your heart. Clearly. The Lord is whispering to you, seek my face. The Lord is whispering to you, spend time with me. And it's only the person who's convinced, and if I do this consistently over the long haul, it'll work. And when I meet with people who are discouraged, and they'll say to me, I'm doing it, but I'm not seeing nothing. I'm very careful how I answer that. I don't want to be trite. I don't want to put them down. But if they're really going after God, I go, it's all right. It'll work. I was talking to uh, somebody, and they, they said to me, um, I just haven't seen, you know, uh, I haven't seen what I want. I listen. I affirm them. I didn't want to, you know, again, I don't want to be trite. But they said to me something. They said, but I'm not giving up. By the end of the conversation, I said to them something. I said, you know what? You just said something that will change your life. You won't give up. On the other hand, you'll see people that get mad at God. They'll be disappointed. I already tried that. I prayed. I didn't see nothing. And they want the prospering on the end of the verse. But they didn't do the day and night. I don't know why it's not working. Did you do the day and night? Did you meditate the word day and night? See, but I don't know how to do this. Oh, well, it's really simple. You open up the Bible and you start reading. I don't know how to read. Fine, it's on audio tape now, right? Well, I can't really focus. Fine, just get a preacher. I mean, whatever. It does, I mean, whatever, right? Find it on the movie. I don't know. But, uh, 
What did David do? He read it or he heard it. And then what did he do? He took it and he personalized it. And he got it out of his mouth. He meditated it, sang it, declared it. Right? You were my, my strength and my song. You were my salvation. Just over and over and over again. Does anyone like practice? Does anyone like working out? Does anyone like running? Do you like it when you're doing it? No, but there's results, isn't there? And I guarantee God's going to speak to you. God's going to bring breakthrough in your life. God's going to answer your prayers. God's going to release that favor and that blessing on your life. And God's going to give you a heart after Him. And God's going to fulfill your calling. He's going to do it by His power. And when those Goliaths in your life, they're going to fall. But what do you need? You need faith. And you cultivate faith in the Word by spending time with Him. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. That's all that He's saying. He's whispering to you this simple principle. He's showing you David. And He's saying, David didn't get lucky. It's not mystical and magical. It's not a guess. We know exactly why David was the way he was. And I know exactly how you can fulfill what God has for you. Spend time with God every single day. You can be busy. You can be inconsistent. You can get distracted. You can get discouraged. Sure, we've all been there. And when we do, God's grace totally covers. But if you just won't give up, Day and night, day and night, day and night. You'll see it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. And just keep at it. One time when I was in a place of brokenness, the Lord said, just show up. I'll take care of the rest.